It's only a kick. A jump. A block. It's only a serve. It's only a tackle. A run. It's only for the fans. After all, it's only pressure. You got this. Adidas. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. Weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad. Edmonton's home for breaking news on your favorite teams. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on the voice of your Edmonton Oilers and Eskimos. Six thirty, Chad. So the Edmonton Oilers have placed defenseman Mark Fain on waivers. The team did not practice today. They host the Toronto Maple Leafs tomorrow, 7 o'clock, start at Rogers Place. We'll have the face-off show to get everything ready for the game at 5.30. Edmonton will host the Avon Halinka Memorial Cup. That's the U18 tournament in the summer of 2018, 2020, and 2022. As it comes to Canada, the Carolina Hurricanes have placed Jordan Stahl on injured reserve with a concussion. Florida General Manager Tom Rowe will be their coach for the rest of the season after they fired Gerard Gallant yesterday. They have a record of 11-10-1. The Calgary Flames just tied the game in the third period against the New York Islanders. About 14 minutes left there. Your scoreboard is for Crystal Glass. For all your glass needs, call Crystal Glass uh, today and visit crystalglass.ca. The other NHL game tonight blues up 1-0 on the Stars. That's early in the second period. NFL Monday Night Football, Green Bay leads Philadelphia 14-7 early in the second quarter. In the NBA, the Raptors are up 78-61 on the 76ers. That is with four and a half minutes left in the third quarter. The new book is called Captain, My Life and Career. It is written by Daryl Sittler, and I'm proud to have Daryl Sittler in studio now. Daryl, how are you doing? It's all good. It's been a busy day, but a good day. <clears throat> how many interviews have you done today? Oh, man, this might be my seventh or eighth, and then okay. we're, we're heading over to sign, do signing some books and signed a bunch in the chapter. So if somebody's out there listening want to go to chapters tomorrow and uh, pick up a signed book, they have them. All right. Quite, quite a grind. It's almost like it's like doing ten morning skates in a day, doing no, no, seven no, interviews. No, it's all good. <laughs> Met lots of nice people. Lots of good Leaf fans out here. Yeah, well, that's a, this must be an interesting connection to you. I mean, you still come to Western Canada, and there's still those fans from the original six. Maybe now the Leafs are their second favorite team if they've adopted the Oilers, <laughs> Flames, Jets, but there's still that passion for the Leafs. And right? when we play here, as you know, we're here uh, on Tuesday night. Um, a lot of people wear their Leaf jerseys, and uh, you know they come out and cheer, and when the Leafs team scores, or even when the Canadians play here at uh, the visiting fans, are cheering louder than the hometown fans some nights. No, the contrast is there's a lot of people that also hate the Maple Leafs, right? Well, so that's you're okay. running into those that's people okay. as well. We, yeah, we, we can accept that. But uh, <laughs> one thing about the Leaf fans now, they're enthused because we got uh, Austin Matthews, we got you know Mitch Marner, and a few other young guys, and uh, we got a good management team there. So hopefully we'll be, com- be competing with the Oilers for the Stanley Cup at some point here. Well, that'd be incredible. And obviously these are two franchises <clears throat> that are trying to pick themselves up out after a, a rough 10 years, uh, obviously. First of all, just in, in the terms of the individual games, we saw one earlier this month. You mentioned one tomorrow, and we're going to have it on 6.30, Chad. Mm-hmm. Uh, 
you know hockey's a team game, but I know you also mm-hmm. recognize you need stars to sell the game, and it's special to have McDavid's and Matthews head-to-head. Well, you have to have the stars, and if you're going to win the Cup, you have to have three or four cornerstone-type players. Uh, you look back when the Oilers won with Gretzky and and obviously uh, with Messi and Paul Coffey and Grant Fuhr and, and even Chicago winning the Cups, the uh, three Cups, you know, Jonathan Taves, Kane, uh, you know, all those types of players are important to have. We're just starting to to put those pieces together as is Edmonton and if you have them then you got a chance for some longevity of uh, maybe winning. When you watch McDavid and Matthews and some of the other new guys and and I've asked a few uh, former players about this year over the last couple months since we've rolled into the season I I mean the the speed just is is ramped up ramped up and uh, I mean they're year round athletes you know I don't know if if what you did in your summers but the whole uh, cycle of being a hockey player is different. Well it's totally different I think the kids learn a lot more about conditioning dieting um, uh, the whole idea of off ice training for you know quick feet uh, you know stronger um, muscles upper body muscles and muscles but so that's why you're getting all these great young players coming into the game and and, and again the players are picked from around the world not only in in Canada or North America so you see the Ovetkins of the world and a number of good Swedish players and Finnish players uh, the kid in uh, in Winnipeg, Lonnie, and yeah. uh, it's it's great for the fans and it's great for the games. And then I look as you get older, there's fewer guys that are in their 30s or late 30s that play anymore because there's so many good young players coming in, coming up. I, I interviewed Phil Esposito in the summer, first of all. What, what, an opinionated guy, you probably know that. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> he said for the first half of his career he had a summer job. Uh, did you work in the off season when you, when you played, or how did that I, go? I, I, I worked not on a full-time basis, but I did lots of uh, uh, out on the banquet circuit and, and stocking in the, in the summertime when I played junior hockey. You weren't drafted until you were 20. I built swimming pools, and, uh, and then um, even when I played pro hockey, I was I taught at hockey schools all summer for the idea that you're going to make some extra money, but you get some ice time while you're doing it. Um, you know, I was one of those guys that, I was very conscientious about my, my fitness. I was probably a little bit of the head of the curve when I went to the Leafs in the 70s. The attitude was when I got the training camp as a 20-year-old, oh, you get in shape while you get here, and the guys are having a few beers, and you know, some guys were smoking back then, uh, having a few cigarettes. But but um, and nowadays, it's not like that at all. You, um, you have a short window of opportunity. It's so competitive. And... Uh, you better do it right, or else you won't be there. Somebody else will be there taking the place. Okay, so uh, you, you brought up something. You, you felt you were a little bit ahead of ahead of, ahead of the, your time, or ahead of the time with some of the off-season fitness and, and training. Yeah. What, what kind of commitments did you do in the well, summer? Totally. Like when I get out and I do some motivational team-building speaking, one of the things I I say to people: I was fortunate as a young kid to realize the importance of preparation. And preparation isn't something you just getting on the air and starting to talk. You've probably learned your your trade and you you try to improve every day and you you look and and other people are successful and why they've become successful and how they stay successful so i knew that as a young kid so i would train um even eight nine ten years old i said if i shoot 200 pucks and the guy that i'm going to be you know a training camp trying to beat out of a job even at the peewee bandom level i have a better chance of scoring more goals and being a better player or or I always practice the things I couldn't do well it's easy to do the things you do well because it's you like it and it's there's no stress or pressure doing that but if you have to do something as an example shoot backhand pucks all day long rather than taking the slap shot uh, but that's what makes you the better player uh, 
So preparation was a key, and then and then off ice training too. I used to run and and uh, you know push ups, sit ups. When I even when I built swimming pools in the summertime, if I was shoveling gravel or cement, I'd be shoveling it, holding it like I was holding my hockey stick, you know, in in that fashion. You know, I'd still get the job done, but but there was a a motive and a method for you know trying to build those wrist muscles or those muscles that uh, you needed to, when I got back on the ice in September. So. That's why I was different probably than some of the other guys. Well, where did that drive come from? And I mean, sometimes it's it can be easier for an adult to have that because you're mature and you're out in the world. But you're <laughs> saying you recognize that as a 8, 9, 10-year-old. Was that a, a parent? A, you know, a well, someone? well uh, you know, I don't know. Like, I look at my mom and dad. They were both hardworking uh, people. My mom... Uh, uh, she had her first child, my older sister, when she was 16. My mom had three kids by the time she was 19. I was the third child, so and eight kids all together. So you saw how they worked, and my dad was paycheck to paycheck. He was a crane operator. And if you wanted something, the only way you're going to get it is to chip in and, and earn some money or, or you know do the physical work to, to get those sorts of things. So the other thing is I grew up in a small community of St. Jacob's, a Mennonite community, and my mom and dad... Uh, instilled in all of us kids the importance of being a part of a community. Um, you don't be selfish, help out, and, and you don't shouldn't have to be asked to do it. You see it's there, whether it's you know some senior that you're, you're helping, you shovel a driveway, or you, you got a job, uh, you deliver newspapers, or you're a Boy Scout uh, raising money, uh, apple drives and paper drives and those sorts of things. So a lot of that came from just our upbringing, you know, and... Uh, and it, it wasn't easy. And at times, like I remember when I had a summer job, uh, for every dollar I made, I had to give 15% back to the, the house, you know. So if I made, you know, whatever, 20 bucks, three bucks goes back to my, my mom and dad. And at the time, I thought, oh, that's not fair. But it showed me the importance that, hey, you know, the things in life aren't free. You got to earn them. And, uh, and it taught me, you know. A lot and why I'm successful today, not only in hockey, but in, in, in kind of being understanding about money and the value of money and, uh, and, 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 and working hard. Daryl Siller joining us on 630 Chet. So you're, you're a young guy. You clearly have the drive and the commitment to play hockey. When did it click in your mind, okay, I might have a chance to be a pro. I might have a chance to actually be in the NHL and make a living being a hockey player. Did you have that uh, a moment or a season where maybe you thought it was possible? Well, when I was playing uh, minor back in uh, my hometown, um, if you were good enough, you could play up a level, and you know, and they didn't restrict you. And if you were playing house league and rep team, you were allowed to play both. I guess they needed the players; they didn't have enough players, but it gave me lots of ice time. But what had happened? I left home. I was drafted by the London Knights, which was about sixty miles away from my home, and I left home at age sixteen, and. Uh, and when I really thought that I'd have an opportunity to maybe make the National Hockey League was in the summertime when we'd be doing summer skates and some of the pros would come back to London who were playing in the NHL. And I could tell by my level of you know, speed and skill and uh, conditioning that I might have a shot at making it. <clears throat> back then you weren't drafted until you were 20 years of age. So you were a little bit more mature and older. But uh, that's when I first had the inkling. And, and again, I focused on um, everything I did is to reach that goal. And then the other thing is what happens with some guys, you get there and then they, people kind of forget, you know, okay, I worked hard to get here and now I'm in the NHL. But my attitude was always right to the end of my career to be a better player and, and a better, uh, you know, 
conditioned and smarter player than I was you know, the day before, so to speak. So Yeah, well, you had some incredible moments, which we want to talk about, and obviously we want to talk about the, the book, but I, I want to throw one at you here. 30 teams now in the NHL. Um, there's not there aren't as many goals as most of the era you, you were in. Where would somebody with Daryl Sittler's skill set fit into an NHL roster these days? Would you be the a top line forward, a second line guy? Would you be getting ninety points? Would you be getting sixty? Can you? <laughs> it's hard to say because you know when I, I mean I was the first Leaf to get a hundred points, and you know you look at the great Leafs that played before me, Keon and Apps and those guys, and they, they might have got sixty or seventy. I don't know. So. Uh, but then a few years later, Wayne Gretzky's getting 220. <laughs> right. So what's 100 points? You know, <laughs> not a hell of a lot, right? But but where I would fit in, I don't know. I mean, um, you you look at the game and how it's grown, and 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 one of the the reasons the game is so popular now is because the best players in the world are playing here in North America. Yeah, it makes it more competitive for Canadian kids to get those uh, NHL jobs. Um, I, if I look at a player today where I think my style of play and my attitude would be, it would be a guy like Jonathan Taves, you know? Mm-hmm. I mean, he comes to play every night. He tries to make the players around him better. He's a good person off the ice. Uh, he's very um, respectful of the game and the, the, you know, the history of the game and the players that built the game to where it was today. So, um, so and, and people question they say well how much money would you make today if if you played today and obviously you would have made a lot more but i look at it a little differently in the fact that the game is so popular and and uh it's growing so much guys like me who've been out of the game since 1985 i retired i still make a a very nice living because of the popularity of the game so uh corporations uh have guys like myself come out and speak you sign some autographs you write a book you do some other stuff that because of the popularity and guys like yourself who watched it back then say hey listen there's some interest in some of these guys that uh, did some good before Daryl Sittler joining us here on Inside Sports. The new book is called Captain, My Life and Career. Daryl, you're going to stick around. Thanks for that. More after the 7.30 news with Daryl. There are signed copies of his book available uh, starting tomorrow. As he mentioned, a couple people texted in where the uh, chapters in West Edmonton Mall and also the one on 170th Street if you want to get uh, the signed copies. It's 719 Inside Sports on 630 Chet. We're coming right back. You're listening to 630 Chet Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins. So 1-1 between the Flames and the Islanders. Six minutes, 20 seconds left in the third period. The Vancouver Canucks say that defenseman Alex Edler will undergo surgery on a broken finger. Got hurt blocking a shot against the Colorado Avalanche on Saturday. He's expected to miss four to six weeks. Tough for the Canucks, 9-11-2 so far this season. They'll play the Minnesota Wild tomorrow. Oilers' schedule, busy. Well, remains busy. Coming up here, Toronto tomorrow. The Jets on Thursday, that's a road game. Home games Saturday and Sunday against the Ducks and then the Wild. And then next week, road games Tuesday, Thursday, Friday against the Sabres, Flyers, 
and wild as we'll see if the Oilers can uh, hang around in a playoff position a little longer 12-9-2 on the season uh, they will not be able to finish above 500 in the month of November which obviously was a lot more difficult month than October they certainly took advantage of the October schedule the uh, home of the Oilers Rogers Place will be the centerpiece host for the Avon Halinka under 18 tournament in 2018, 2020, and 2012. Darnell Nurse was at the announcement today. He played in the tournament in 2012. Uh, the, the tournament itself, I think yeah, you're playing against the best players for the first time, really. Uh, I played in the, the World Championship before that, uh, the under 18 World Championship, and it, wa- it wasn't uh, the same in, in uh, respects of competition, just based on the fact that a lot of the, the best players were still playing at that time. Uh, so it, uh, it, it was a great tournament to be a part of. Uh, a lot of great, great memories from it. And you know, I, as a player, it, it definitely uh, you know, continues to build your game and, and motivate you. All right. So, yeah, as Bob Nicholson, you heard him say earlier, certainly Canada's games will be at Rogers Place. We'll see how it goes. If all the games are going to be at Rogers Place, they may use the community rink. They may uh, have some games in uh, outlying communities, but Edmonton will be the main host. And Bob Nicholson commented today on how the event could help the Oilers recruit players down the road. Bingo. Uh, that's a big part of it. You know, once you get them here, when, once they see this building, once they feel this community, they'll go, hey, hey uh, where's the Edmonton Oilers and uh, is there a possibility to put on that jersey and so that's all part of the plan and the other one is to uh, really engage our fans Uh, you know we have Hockey Alberta and Hockey Edmonton in attendance today what can we do there on player development coaching seminars so you know this is a big play that we can do to really make uh, Edmonton uh, center of uh, hockey all right, Bob Nicholson, and again, more on that announcement on 630Ched.com. Pretty cool. It's going to be a summer tournament. It'll be in August. It first started in 1991. Canada has won 20 titles in this uh, U18 event, so that's pretty cool. All right, we have more with Daryl Sittler coming up. He's in studio hanging around. He's going to give us a few more minutes after the 7.30 news. Of course, you can always text 6.30, Follow me on Twitter, at Reed Wilkins, and the email for the show, insidesports at 630ched.com. Hey, I also want to remind you, you can check out santasanonymous.ca. We're so proud going into another season with 630ched Santa's Anonymous. The uh, delivery dates are going to be Saturday, December 17th, and then the following day, Sunday, the 18th, Santa's Depot, Brand new spot, the Jerry Forbes Center for Community Spirit, 12122 68th Street. You want to get involved, you want to donate, go to santasanonymous.ca. We appreciate any way that you're able to help. Coming up to the 7.30 news and then more with Daryl Sittler. It is Inside Sports on Oilers Radio, 6.30 Chet. This is Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on Edmonton Sports Leader, 630 Chad. More with Daryl Sittler coming up in a minute or two here. Great to have him in studio. Flames and Islanders going to overtime, tied 1-1. The only other game in the NHL this evening. Blues up 2-0 on the Stars late in the second period. Fabry and Petrangelo, the goal scorers. Oh, by, by the way, the goal scorers in the Flames-Islanders games. Tavares, his sixth for... The Isles, Monaghan, also his sixth for the Flames. Football tonight, still 14-7. Green Bay leading the Eagles. Two minutes left in the first half. The Raptors rolling 111-83. 
against the 76ers. Six and a half minutes left in the fourth quarter. All right. Uh, tomorrow, Oilers and Leafs here on 6.30. Chad, face-off show at 5.30. Game will start at 7. Going to be fun. Former Maple Leaf, Daryl Sittler in studio with us. Uh, the new book, Captain, My Life and Career. Really interesting stuff in there, Daryl. I'm just wondering what led you to sit down and say, uh, hey, you know what, I need to put this book out. You know, when you're sitting around with your buddies, you tell some stories that you think are interesting or they might think are interesting. And then my late wife, Wendy, she kept a lot of photos and just different things that I had over my career. And, and when I was talking to the public publisher, the Random House uh, people, we kind of came up with this concept and idea of, uh, hey, the fans might be interested. And then I'm saying to myself, maybe my own family and and years down the road to, you know might appreciate having this sort of stuff so it, it, it forces you to collect it put it together and we had a lot of stuff that's not in the book that we couldn't keep um uh, but but i'm proud of the book i actually uh, it took a long time well i say a long time maybe a little over a year to do it but the things that i like about the book i know the hockey fan probably likes the hockey stories but i like the you know my my relationship with terry fox i talk about that i talk about diabetes in my family i i talk about ronald mcdonald house being the first honorary chair and where ronald mcdonald house is growing today so those sorts of things are in the book because when somebody reads it it might inspire them to get involved i've always believed and still believe if you sit on the sidelines and do nothing every day you get up and I get up I have a choice of how I'm going to live that day you do too in your attitude and then you have a choice of what you're going to do with your time and sometimes somebody will come up to you and say can you help out can you do this and I found through my career not only in hockey but afterwards those things that I got involved with uh, I never regret and uh, somehow in some way it comes back to you in different ways and I mean, I remember visiting Sick Kids Hospital. My wife, Wendy, and I, we didn't have any kids. We'd go Christmas Day because we knew those families, you know, those kids, poor kids were in hospital on Christmas Day, and we would take leaf pucks and, you know, memorabilia stuff to the kids. But more importantly, we uplifted their, their Christmas Day, made it positive. Now, here I am all these years later, somebody will come up to me, hey, Daryl, I don't remember you coming to Sick Kids. I had a broken leg at the time. That six-year-old kid we'll never forget that you know and so I, I try to encourage you know even our current guys as much as we all blow them up to be bigger than life so to speak but if you can stay grounded like a like a uh, 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 you know uh, Sidney Crosby is or a Jonathan Taves or you got McDavid here that to me is more important and and, and the measurement of a good all-around quality superstar than the guy that just does it on the ice and kind of forgets all this stuff around him, you know, so yeah. that's kind of who I was and, and, and still am today. Well, and there are some great stories in there, and you mentioned, you know, you talk about your, your family, and, uh, you know, it's not, it's a, it's a very honest book, you know, ups and downs you go through, so I think fans will, will appreciate that. One of the big ups, and I'm going to ask you the one question you've been asked about 20,000 times, but it's so noteworthy. February 7th, 1976, you got 10 points against the Boston Bruins. And I know you've been asked this so many times, but uh, it was a historic night in the history of the NHL. I mean, do you still, do you, I know it was 40 years ago, do you still pinch yourself that you actually got 10 points in a game? Or Well, it's one of those records because it's uh, every year it comes up. And, you know, I think Gagne here uh, about seven or eight years ago got eight points. So it, it reminds uh, people of it. But, I don't really pinch myself other than I say, okay, 10,000 games have gone by. Wayne Gretzky's 
played, Merrill Lemieux's played, and uh, a lot of great players, and they've got eight. So it'll be a tough record to beat. I'm proud to hold it. I'm, I was proud to do it in a Leaf uniform against an original six team. And at that time, the Bruins were good. They weren't. A, it wasn't a weak team or anything. So, yeah, uh, the record's great. I, I hope it lasts for many, many more years. But having said that, you and I know in sports, sometimes the unknown, uh, unexpected thing can happen, and it happened to me. And, it might happen to somebody else another day. Who knows? Like Ottawa beating Calgary in the Grey Cup, maybe. Well, hey, that was I didn't get a chance to see it because I was on the plane coming here, but everybody says it's a pretty entertaining game, eh? Yeah. You know, it's funny. I got I, I interviewed Tony Gabriel earlier today. Yeah. And you, well, you I guys know I, each other? Yeah, I know Tony from back in the 70s. I, I was at that game and watched that game when he got that winning yeah. touchdown back in, I don't know, was it 76? 76, 76 as well, yeah. Also, yeah. Tony's a great guy, and, uh, and uh, yeah, that was, those were fun, uh, fun days watching in the, the CFL. I'm not a big fan. I'm, I know out here the CFL is very big, especially Saskatchewan and Edmonton too, and there's lots of rivalries here. I follow a little bit in Toronto, but not, not as much as the people out here. All right. Um, I, I interviewed Lanny McDonald a couple of years ago, and we started talking about Harold Ballard. Yeah. And uh, to paraphrase what Lanny said, uh, he said Harold was often more concerned with the headlines than the quality of the team on the ice. Um I know you have a couple stories in here about Harold. Uh, I mean, just when you look back on him and his effect on the Maple Leafs and, and your career, I don't know if you would sum it up the same way Lanny did or, or how you remember it. Well, you know, Harold was, yeah, he was uh, larger than life, colorful, loved the media. His wife had passed away, so he really didn't have anybody. And King Clancy's wife had passed away, so the two of them were like frickin' frack. And, you know, when the media were around, they would throw things out there to, you know, to get the media's attention and and that was a distraction for the team uh, a lot of times um the the thing that i was bothered a little bit about ballard was when the world hockey came along and teams like canadians kept their players or traded them away and got draft picks back harold's attitude was hey if they want to go to the wha let them go well we lost a, a lot of good players in that period of time and then uh, obviously after that they drafted guys like lanny and tiger and boria and we recouped recovered from that but um to me it's hard enough to play the game you don't need those other distractions from an owner and and stuff like that um but at the same time when i scored the overtime goal in the canada cup he had the uh, the uh people who answer the phones at maple leaf gardens say they, it's the home of daryl sittler when i scored the 10 point game uh, he gave my wife and i a beautiful tea service set and he was good my my issues started to come uh, uh uh, in a stronger, more difficult way when Punch Imlach became the general manager. And Punch was kind of old school. I was the captain. I was the vice president of the Players Union. I had no trade contract. And he wanted to challenge myself and the other players on stuff that just wasn't right. And he could either back down and say, okay, you have it your way, Punch, or you stand up for what you believe in was right. And I did that. And when you do that in Toronto, it becomes the soap opera and the headlines of every every newspaper and every every um broadcast so uh it wasn't much fun playing in those days but we and and punch ended up trading guys like lanny and tiger and uh you know the nucleus of a team that knocked the islanders out who went on to win a number of stanley cups traded those guys and the leafs took a long time to recover from that yeah a couple more for you first one's going to be a little (coughs) bit off the wall maybe you, you, one of your stops was with Philadelphia. Do you still have a set of Cooperalls? <laughs> Those Cooperalls, I didn't like the Cooperalls. I was the old school where I always put my pants on after I had my skates done up, and the Cooperalls, you couldn't do that. You had to put them on before, but uh, that was a fad. <laughs> Not a good one. 
All right. Uh, I got a standard question I always ask uh, former players. Well, it's a two-parter. Who is the greatest player you ever played with, and who is the greatest player you ever played against? Well, I played with this player both with and against Bobby Orr. And uh, and when I say that, uh, I played with him in Team Canada 76 when we yeah. won the Cup, and I played against him when he played with the Bruins. And and unfortunately for Bobby, his career was shortened because of his his injuries to both of his knees. But in the 70s, he was the most dominant player. And, and that's no disrespect for Wayne or Gordy Howe or, you know, Guy Lafleur or Mario Lemieux. They're all great players. But Bobby was one of those guys at that period of time which I thought was the greatest player. Uh, I lied. I got one more. Okay. If you could sit down with Austin Matthews or Connor McDavid <coughs> or Patrick Laine and they needed a, a minute of a minute of advice, if you only had them for a minute, what, what would you say to some of the young stars coming in? Well, I would say just be who you are and 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 how you got to where you are today. Don't change because of that. You know, stay focused on that and don't think you're something you're not because you're not. Um, and uh, enjoy it. But again. Um, be prepared, be the best team guy you can be. I, I think the measurement of a of a player is how his teammates think of him as, as a teammate and as a player. And to me, that's more important than what the fans think of you, what the media think of you. It's what your teammates think of you. And and you know inside, you know, whether you're cheating the system or, or you're cheating your teammates. So just be true to yourself and true to your teammates. Daryl Sittler, great to have you in town. Again, the book, Captain, My Life and Career. Thanks so much for your time. Good to see you. Thank you. Excellent stuff. Daryl Sittler joining us tonight, Inside Sports on 630. Chad, as we're doing that interview, Andy from Sherwood Park says, prior to the 10 points, what was the previous record? Who held it and for how long? Quick look on uh, NHL.com. Uh, several players, including Sam Gagne, Paul Coffey, and Wayne Gretzky, have eight points in a game. But before Daryl Sittler, the record was eight points. Maurice Richard got eight points in a game in December of 1944. Bert Olmsted for the Montreal Canadiens got eight points in a game in January of 54. So those guys had the uh, tie for the record. So originally set in 44, tied in 54. Sittler got 10 in 76. And then uh, about a dozen guys have got eight points in in a game since then. Nobody has ever got nine points in a game, oddly enough. A bunch of eights and then the ten. Hey, maybe McDavid will get nine tomorrow. Wouldn't that be something? It is 744. It's Inside Sports on 630. Chet Thomas Hickey in overtime wins it 2-1 for the Islanders over the Flames. A uh, little bit of uh, Oilers chat when we get back. It's Inside Sports on 630. Chet. This is Mike Riley from your Edmonton Eskimos, and you're listening to Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins on 630 Chet. New dad, Mike Riley. Inside Sports on 630 Chet. Thank you for tuning in. It is 749 Oilers and Leafs tomorrow. Oh, I wonder if Nazem Kadri might have the bullseye on him just a little bit. Should be a fun one. Uh, always a lot of Leafs fans there, a lot of chanting going back and forth, and the Oilers looking for a victory after uh, the weekend stumbles against the Arizona Coyotes. I just want to pass something along here. The uh, the announcement today for the Yvonne Holinka tournament coming to Edmonton in 2018, 2020, and 2022 was made in the Oilers Hall of Fame room today. That one is the room that doubles as the news conference room. Todd McClellan does all his stuff there. They have announcements like... Uh, like uh, the Halinka tournament there today. Now that has, you know, the uh, the Oilers artifacts from the Hall of Fame and the Hall of Fame plaques on that one wall. 
It's visible through the glass from 104th Avenue. The Gretzky statue is right outside. And I've been asked by a lot of people, what's going on with, with the public going in there? And I talked to someone with the Oilers Entertainment Group today, and the plan is hopefully in in the new year, maybe January or February, for there to be an announcement or, or some hard details. But there are plans being worked on for there to be public access to that room. And, of course, you, you need public access so fans can get in there and, and get an up-close look. I mean, as you walk by, you can see the replica Stanley Cup cups that are along the window. You get a look at those. The, the Hall of Fame wall with the plaques of all the Oilers in the Hall of Fame is nice and big. So you can see that from outside. But on the on the far side of the room from the street, there are old Oilers jerseys and sticks and pucks and mementos and all that stuff. The old door, you know, the, from the old locker room is in there with the stickers on it from how many playoff wins they got each year. So that stuff, I mean, you'd need to get up closer to, to appreciate it a, a little more. So th- they're working on something so there would be some kind of public access or tours uh, you know, hopefully sometime in 2017. What happened was the original plan was for that to be the the news conference room. So McClellan would do his stuff there and, uh, you know, they'd have other announcements like the stuff today in there and, and it would be visible from the outside. And then later on in, in the, in the, in the building process, they said, let's, uh, let's, put Hall of Fame stuff in there as well, right? So at that point, though, it was the room was already in that spot in the building. They couldn't move it, so it was, it was already in what had been designated kind of a secure area because obviously there are parts of the building that the public can't just go wander in and out of freely. So they just want to figure out a way to get people in there, you know, safely and in, a, in an orderly fashion. So there will be some kind of access to that room. And again, likely expect to hear something about that in January or February. All right, so you will be able to get in there, and it's and it's great. It's a privilege for me to go in there every day. All that uh, you know, some of the jerseys they have going back to the original Oilers. They have Doug Waite stuff, Ryan Smith stuff, uh, they have Gretzky's old locker. So there there is a lot of pretty cool stuff to check out. So that's coming. Just one of the things for the building. They they couldn't get it going right right away. All right. So the Oilers play the uh, Leafs tomorrow. Disappointing weekend for the Oilers. The offense a little up and down. Only three goals the last two games. They had 16 points in the pre or 16 goals in the previous three games. They won all those in the previous five games. They lost all of them. They had nine goals. I mean, I think that's always going to happen with your offense. It's generally a, a little up and down. Even teams that are further along in their development when than the Oilers face that. Uh, I, there's certainly, I know from doing the post-game show uh, yesterday, there's a, there's a lot of heat on Jordan Eberle right now. It's, I find it a little unfortunate that he's become, I think, the new uh, the new whipping boy for a lot of people. I don't know why some fans, not all of you, but some of you always seem to want to have somebody on your on your team that you hate. But I, I guess that just goes along with the emotion of being a sports fan. I, I mean, I, I I will say this. That, and I talked about Jordan Eberle a lot last year. Are there, are there uh, deficiencies in his, is his game? Absolutely. Are there frustrating deficiencies in his game because you don't see improvement in them? Absolutely. Can he still be a valuable player on the roster? Abs- absolutely. So, I mean, it's up to Todd McClellan to figure out how to use him, how to get the best out of him every night. Certainly, there hasn't been consistent production. Uh, Benoit Pouliot, there has not been consistent production from. And I'm just wondering, 
as we move into sort of what we hope is a new phase for the Edmonton Oilers is, you know, I'm wondering that with Todd McClellan as the coach and with Peter Shirelli as the GM, and Peter Shirelli has clearly brought in uh, different types of players. He's clearly wanted to bring in guys who can be a little more physical. And I think Todd McClellan has changed the standards and style of the team to a degree. Are, are we seeing players who can't adapt to that are, are their weaknesses perhaps being a little more exposed than they were in previous years and under previous coaches? And perhaps with Jordan Eberle and Benoit Pouliot leading the way in that regard, that you know, they're players who certainly have strengths but maybe haven't been able to adapt to some of the things that Todd wants and maybe their skill set doesn't jive as well with some of the players that Shirelli has brought in. I, I'm wondering if that's what ha- what, what's happening. I mean, there, there are obviously two players that weren't added by Peter Shirelli, whose contracts weren't given to them by Peter Shirelli. And I'm not heaping everything on those two guys, but maybe they're an, ex- an example of a, a shift here in what the Oilers are trying to do and the team that they're trying to become. Now, having said that, they're, they're on the team. And I would think certainly in Everly's case, still, still a good chance he's on the team for a while. So can he be productive can he be a little more adaptable than he has been those are things i'm going to look for going forward all right that's inside sports for tonight charles adler tonight is coming up next the flames lose 2-1 in overtime to the islanders the blues are up 2-1 on the stars after two green bay leading philadelphia 14-10 at the half that's monday night football and uh, the toronto raptors win cruising past the 76ers tonight 122-95 Mark Fain placed on waivers by the Edmonton Oilers. The Holinka tournament coming to Edmonton 2018, 2020, 2022. More on that on 630Ched.com. The producer of the show is Dave Campbell. Thanks to Dave for filling in for me last Thursday, by the way. I got to go to Lloyd Minster. Uh, pretty cool. Got to speak at a fundraising dinner for the midget AAA team. Barry Stafford, now uh, working for the Oilers alumni, was also out there as well. He was he was the headliner. I was the I was the opening act. Kellen Kennedy is your studio producer this evening. Bob Stoffer has Oilers now from noon to 2 tomorrow. And then the game, 5.30 face-off show, 7 o'clock drop of the puck. It's the Oilers hosting the Maple Leafs. My name is Reed Wilkins. Thank you so much for listening. Have a great night. Six thirty, Chad. Inside Sports with Reed Wilkins, weekdays at six on Six Thirty, Chad.